recap on uh, where we are so far in the story of grace. Um, remember that we, we really got into grace looking at um, these, by the way, the paradigm just means the way in which we think, our mindset. So that's, that's what we're looking at tonight. It's, it's something which is, is crucial in allowing grace to work in our lives. It's the mindset. It's the way in which we think. So that's what we'll be looking at tonight. But just to recap, we looked at these three stages of grace, didn't we? Uh, the manifold grace of God, which is extended to all, even seen in the rain and the sunshine, the air we breathe. But the word of God, which has gone out and the offer of eternal life or the offer of salvation in Christ Jesus. And remember, um, we put this chart together as part of that study. These are just reminders. And we finished by seeing this. This is a process that God is taking us through. And he... He gives grace, and, but he's seeking a response. He's seeking a faithful response. And when he sees that response, he gives further grace again. And those of us who are baptized have received of that further grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he sees our response now and the moral change that's taking place in our life, by his grace when Christ returns... He will give further grace, the exceeding riches of his grace, and we will be made perfect. We'll be that perfect manifestation of the Father. I had a couple of people um, add a few things. I did say that once you see the three stages of grace, you'll start finding it everywhere. And I won't mention names for um, who's, who's offered these, but I just thought it'd be nice to put these up. You see, I took a lot of time doing that. Um, so here's our manifold grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the exceeding riches of his grace. So our three stages down the side. And someone come with a fantastic quote from Romans 8, which says, Those he called, them he also justified, and those he justified, he glorified. And there's our three stages right there, isn't it? Calling, justification, glorifying. Beautiful. And of course, not mentioning names again, but also had someone else um, offer, uh, also seen in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And there's a sense, isn't it, with Abraham that this was, this was an all-encompassing grace. It was about all families of the earth being blessed. It's about a seed and a land and a people. But in Isaac, of course, we, is the son. He represents the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what about Jacob and Israel? Well, they're the multitude, they're the kingdom. So, so thanks for that. And, and um, our workshop, which is in a couple of days' time, will also um, be, if you like, a case study in the life of Joseph. And I hope that you'll be able to find similar themes and patterns of what we've been looking at um, in the Old Testament story of Joseph. But keep finding them and keep bringing them to me because it helps in my next studies. So. A lot of what I say, actually, has been brought to me over the years. You wouldn't believe that. But you start with a structure with these talks, and then they get added to as you go. So, believe it or not, that gets added into the next series of studies, and everyone thinks I did an amazing job finding it, but it's actually you guys. So, um, where are we up to? Right. So, I just want to um, go through this with you, because... 
This is really important. Um, actually, no, I don't want to go through that with you just now. Right? I just wanted to build suspense. Remember um, yesterday we said that there's, there's two times the Lord Jesus Christ teaches and uses the word grace. And we looked at the first one yesterday, which was Luke chapter 6, about it being kindness that's undeserved. Well, now we're going to look at the second one, which is actually in Luke chapter 17. And while Luke chapter 6 was talking about what grace is, undeserved kindness, Luke chapter 17, I believe, is talking about the attitude that we have around grace, this, this idea of this undeserved <laughs> gift. So Luke chapter 17, we've got, a, we've got quite an interesting uh, little story here that the Lord tells his disciples. Verse 7 of Luke 17 says, Which of you, having a servant ploughing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet, but will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank, now this is our word for grace, doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which have commanded you, Say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. Now this is quite an interesting story, isn't it? Because in our day and age and the way things work, we probably wouldn't offer up this type of story because it sort of might elicit a, a different response to us. But here in Christ's day, you've got this story of a servant and he's, he's been out working with the cattle all day and he's, he's, he comes in absolutely exhausted at lunchtime, staggers in the door. And he's like, he's absolutely famished, hungry, thirsty. And the Lord says, when that servant comes in, does the master say to him, look, look I think you've done enough. Just why don't you sit down, just take a breather. You eat your lunch first. And then when you're finished, I'll have mine. He says, well, actually that's not the case. The servant is never in a position where he is in debt to the master. He can never place the master in his debt. Do you know what, I'm, do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? He is always in debt to his master. It doesn't matter how obedient he is. How many commandments he follows, he never places his master in his debt. And so he uses this analogy for us. Here we are, and, he, and he, he, he makes it very clear and obvious for us. So likewise ye. And here we are as unprofitable servants. And, and young people, you could follow every single commandment that God has asked of you, even though that might be actually impossible, well, it is impossible. But even if you could follow every single commandment, it says here that you will never have placed God in your debt. 
We only come inside and we say, well, we've only done that which was our duty to do. So regardless of what grace we receive, what salvation, what kindness from God, no matter how hard we work for it, there never comes a time when that is payment for what God has done for us. There never comes a time where we've worked so hard that we deserve any of this. It doesn't change how much we work, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we will always be in the master's debt. And so just, let's just reinforce that with a, a couple of extra quotes. Let's just come to our reading, which is Ephesians chapter 2. So we, we, we finished really, didn't we, yesterday in verse 7, which says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. That's at, at Christ's return. In verse 8 it says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. It's not something that you can earn lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So this is not something that we can orchestrate. This is not something that we have power over. It's not something that we can pay for. It's God's work. We are his workmanship, and he is creating something in us. Again, um, no need to turn there. I'll just, I'll just read this for you. <coughs> Romans chapter 4, speaking of, of Abraham. For what saith the scripture, verse 3 of Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So there is a, there is a person that goes about who work, To think they can place God in his debt. It's not discouraging anyone from working, by the way. And we're going to discuss this. But it's when you have the mindset to place God in your debt. So I'm just going to... We're going to look up a couple of um, stories to illustrate this in a minute. But just a couple of... um, An illustration here of what we're talking about. Because we're, we're really trying to show quite a few scriptures um, pieced together here, but I'll just do it in a single slide, which is hopefully not too simplistic. So at the top here we have um, God's laws. You can call them whatever you like. It's what's right. It's the truth. It's his commandments. And and from that, we there's a, there's a decision made. People can say, well, that's, that's right. God is right. His way is right. Our way or man's way is wrong. And salvation is through Jesus Christ. And from there, it really goes into two mindsets. So the same information is there. The same, if you like, process of getting there has been gone through. But now it goes into two mindsets. One of merit, which is 
earning something, and one of faith, which is believing in what has been said. And from those two mindsets come works. First of all, works from those thinking you can earn it, and believe it or not, no, it's not surprising, the same works come from the person that's, that is believing or having faith in what God has said. They both produce works. And you know what? Most of the time, those works look exactly the same. But one is works of law. One one is works of faith. One is condemned by law. And one is counted as righteous. So what's important is what's going on up here. That's what's important. Because one person doing the exact same thing think that he is, thinks that he or she is making a payment to earn this gift or what is meant to be a gift. Making a payment. Paying off this debt. And the other receives it gratefully. And it spurs them on, motivates them to work to demonstrate that they believe that God has done great things for he or for them. So I'll give you two um, examples of this uh, from the New Testament. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. This one might seem unlikely, um, and I'll be interested in your feedback actually afterwards. Matthew 20 is the parable of the labourers in the vineyard. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I sort of grew up thinking that this was really about the time or the, the period of time when you came into the truth. But has anyone heard that before? Anyone thought that? Yeah, a few tentative hands. <coughs> sort of like as unresponsive as you are with Mike here. Don't you so no one else apart from two people has heard that before. Three, four, okay. I'm interested to know what you're thinking about it now. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll offer a suggestion and maybe you can tell me what you think afterwards. So in Matthew 20, the parable, we, we, we know how the parable goes, right? There's the, he goes out to find uh, labourers to work in his vineyard for a day. And the crucial thing I want you to notice about the first group of labourers in the vineyard is in verse 2, he makes an agreement with them. This is an agreement. It's like a contract. Okay? You will do this, you will earn this. This is the mindset of the first group. It's a penny a day if I do this amount. When he needs others, so he goes out in verse 3, in the third hour, and he sees others standing idle, and he said unto them, go also into the vineyard. But this time there's no agreement. See in verse 4 he says, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. It just means whatsoever is, is righteous or just or equitable. In other words, I will give you what I think is right. 
So in the case of the people of the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour, their whole form of payment was based on what well, was based on the character of the person who was paying them. Is that a fair comment? There's no agreement in play. Who's gone and done um, work at any stage except at a job without knowing what they're going to get paid? A few? Was it for some sort of corporation that you believed would pay you the right amount? No? Has anyone gone and worked for someone they thought was really evil and would probably not pay you what you're worth? Do you still have jobs? <laughs> not good employees, actually. Um, so they see the difference, right? The first group, there's an agreement. That's their mindset. The other groups, they're just reliant on the character of the individual to pay what's right. Okay, so when the first came, verse 10, oh, sorry, um, <clears throat> verse 8, he says, Well, call, call all the labourers and give me their hire beginning from the last unto the first. Verse 9, they came that were hired about the eleventh hour and they received every man a penny. And when the first came, verse 10, by the way, what do you think the response would be if you'd just gone and worked one hour and received a day's wages? How would you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome. It's a normal day. <laughs> you an accountant? <laughs> Sorry. Um... But when the first came, verse 10, when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and, thou, made us, and they, thou hast made them equal with us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. So what was their attitude? What is it that, you know, what's their position? What are they saying to their master? We've done more work. Surely we should get more money than they did. Exactly. They're saying they deserve more. That the work that they've put in is equal to something. This is because, remember, their, their mindset is transactional. It's an agreement. Okay? It's, con it's a contract in their head. But the Lord says... It, the master says in verse 13, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Didn't you in your own head have this contract? Wasn't it a transactional nature? Wasn't there an agreement in place? Take last, even as unto thee. So, all up until that point, you might be thinking, I think Josh might be stretching this. Look at how he finishes this parable, verse 16, and tell me, if it's not relating to this, what does this verse mean? Verse 16, so the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, 
but few are chosen. So there's some that are called in this story, but not chosen. We said, but they didn't do anything wrong. They received the penny, that's what they wanted. And that's exactly right. They went into it with an agreement in place. And, and all the differences in these groups of people is mindset. One received that penny and like, we don't deserve this. I mean, what an amazing master that we've just, we've come here at the 11th hour and he's been so kind to still give us a penny for a day. And the others say, you know what, I've been slaving, I've been years in the truth doing Sunday school. We've, look, at, look at all those people out in the world, but look at what we've been doing. I deserve the kingdom. I'm earning it. I attend Bible class. I go to CYC. And we don't say that out loud and we probably don't even think it. It's a subconscious thing where we start to think that we can earn. We can place God in our debt. Um, second story, come to Luke chapter 15. Once again, probably a story that we know well, the parable of the prodigal son, or the lost son, who takes his inheritance, um, rushes off and has a great old time, runs out of money, ends up, you know, eating pig's food. Um, I mean, it's a fan- on the surface even, it's just a fantastic story of, of grace, it, just in itself, isn't it? When the father who... Uh, who is who's just wanting him to return. He's seeking that, he's, the purpose of his kindness is seeking that repentance. But look at the mindset of the son when he's returning. Um, he says to himself in verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He's thinking of his ser- the servants back home. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So this, this man, by the time he realises just how kind his father was, he thinks back to the servants back at the house and he thinks, well... I mean, that looked after way better than me here. I'll just go back and say, look, I'm not worthy to be your son. I don't deserve that. Just, just make me a servant. I'll be your servant. <coughs> what a beautiful story. He arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off. So here's the picture of the father. This is the creator. Think about this in this story. When he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. There's God's kindness reaching out for repentance. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said, Bring forth the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to be merry. What a great story. And you can see his attitude. He's completely saying, I don't deserve this. I'm forever in my father's debt. As opposed to the attitude of his other brother. Look at the attitude of his other brother. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And he came came nigh to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he said to one of the servants what these things mean. And verse 27 he said, Well thy brother is come. My father hath killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry. His brother was angry and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he said unto him, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, dad. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Do you see his attitude? I deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. I've been slogging away here, earning my inheritance. <coughs> but as soon as this son come, has devoured his living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So you can see it's just two completely different mindsets. One is just accepting this gift that God has given us in faith. And one is thinking, no, I I want to earn this. I deserve this. And I'm going to place God in my debt. Now, I'm not sure what you're thinking at this point. That's obvious. Um, But... I mean, if you're like me, you think, well, okay, that's, that's true. We can see that. But, I mean, is it really an issue that we think we deserve what God has done for us? I mean, if you're like me, you think when you actually sit down and analyze it, you think, well, it's really not an issue. I mean, I know that I don't deserve the kingdom. So what I'm going to go through is perhaps what I think is the biggest danger to us diminishing grace in our lives. And I think it's particularly, um, as a community, I think this is a problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate to you. Oh, so here's, here's just a few scribbles on that. So one is saying, you know, one is working hard, earning salvation by merit. Whereas the other <coughs> works hard, but he works hard out of gratitude knowing that his or her efforts are insignificant compared to what God has done. Okay. Okay. Right. Now, in the past, there has been some issues understanding this graph. Now, there were Australians... So there may not be any issues here. But, so I'm going to go through it slowly and carefully, all right? Sorry, Australians. Okay, this is one axis, which is God's standard or requirement. This is, so this is, this is his standard up this side, and here's who's uh, in the running, say. And on this side, measuring right up to the standard, is Christ. Okay, the perfect man, the perfect manifestation of the Father. And he is completing God's requirement 
right up to here. Is everyone with me on the graph so far? This part, just barely uh, registering on the graph, is us in our natural state. You know, we're not, we're not making our way up to God's standard or his requirement. Sorry if this is really overly simplistic. And a simple way of seeing grace and the salvation that we have in Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the gap that's bridged. We have a covering. There's been an atonement made. And we're presented perfect. So, so grace, if you like, completes the difference between us and our natural state. And, and obviously we're growing up into this. It's not like we're just sitting here in our natural state. The graph has its limitations, I'm sorry. We're growing into this, into this man, actually. We're growing <coughs> into it. But, but grace is the thing that, that, that fills this gap, if you like. And when we're baptised, when we're in Christ, we're seen as Christ in the eyes of the Father. So let me ask you a question. What are the two things that can dramatically change grace on that graph? Sorry? I just said, isn't there any one? Isn't that us going upwards? Okay. So there's so we've got a suggestion well there's only one, there's us going upwards. So that would uh, that would diminish Yeah. Well it would be the choice of wanting Whereas you may be fine with just being red, and you don't want that red. Yep. Faith. Faith. Faith and works can change it. I'm, I'm just looking for a, remember, I'm Australian. <coughs> and living in New Zealand. Yeah, sorry, who said that? Okay, yep. So let's just change the question slightly. You're exactly right. What would change the graph in our view? So there's two things, really. Is our view of what God's standard is could change. It could shrink right down to here and we could set it here in our own mind and it would just leave this amount of grace. And then also, if we didn't realise our natural state, and we actually thought, well... Actually, Josh is okay. You know, who he is as a, a natural person. He's actually not too bad. And might bring him up to here. We might bring God's standard down to here. And what's left for grace? There's, there's almost nothing left. And so I think this is, this is the problem in us coming to terms with realising... Um, just how much we, we don't deserve this is, is I believe we do change these two things. See, as particularly as, as young people growing up in Christadelphian families, which I'm one of, um, we, we sometimes forget that we've grown up in every, say, good characteristic that we may 
that we may show is actually from being brought up in the truth. It's, and it's also by having good parents. Even, even, um, even if we think we're not all that bad, but actually if we start to lose sight of where we are in our natural state in comparison to God, and as Christadelphians start to just say, well, actually, you know what? You know the standard I think God requires? Well, not be too bad. So I suppose trying to attend, uh, trying to attend the meetings where we can. I think attending meetings, as many Bible classes as you can, that's good. Um, and CYC. Um, try not to drink and smoke. And then we start to, what we start to do is build up this little picture in our own head. It's different for everyone, of course. Um, and we think, yeah, I think that's, that's a good balance. It's not too extreme. And you know what? You know, funny enough, where you set your own standard just so happens to be that you can reach it. You set the standard for yourself just at the point where you can reach it. And you think, this is what God wants from me. And in your own head, you're probably thinking, and everyone else should be doing that as well. So let's just, let's just remind ourselves of what Scripture says about this. And actually, Brother Jonathan um, talked about this in one of his earlier studies. Is that God is actually wanting us to aim for perfection. And it's been coming out, it'll been coming out in our God manifestation studies as well. Is that we are aiming to be perfect manifestations of the Father. That's our goal. That's our aim. It's not a nice, comfortable Christadelphian standard. It's God's standard that we're aiming for. And He requires us to be perfect. He does. He wants us to be perfect. Let's remind ourselves of that. Matthew chapter 5. on this a bit earlier so I won't go through it but think of everything that he's spoken about through Matthew chapter 5 um, you know that the law says thou shalt not commit adultery but I say unto you do not lust after a woman in your heart this is, this is his standard don't lust upon a woman in your heart. The law says you shouldn't murder, but I say don't hate your brother. Don't love less your brother. <laughs> and, and, we've, and we went through, didn't we, all the things that, well, if someone does something to you, well, if he takes your, takes your coat, give him your cloak also. All these things. But when we get to the end of that chapter, we won't go through it all. He concludes it by saying, verse 48, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
This is what the Beatitudes about. This is what this Sermon on the Mount is about. To show us what we should be striving for. To show us what we're aiming for. Come across to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So who will go into the kingdom? He that does the will of my Father. I mean, what a challenging phrase just in those few verses. He that does the will of my Father. Come across to 2 Corinthians in chapter 7. Second Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When did we last wake up and think, I wonder how I'm going towards perfecting holiness? You can see that it's easy, isn't it, to, to just make ourselves feel comfortable by lowering that standard. What about Deuteronomy 10? Don't turn to this. I'll read it for you. And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear Yahweh thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve Yahweh thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul to keep the commandments of Yahweh and his statutes, which I command thee this day. That's what he said to Israel. That's what God required. To fear him and walk in all his ways. To love him and keep his commandments with all your heart and all your soul. Come to Matthew chapter 19. For those interested, you'll find some interesting context because we, we were just here in Matthew 20 before and after these two parables and what Christ is, is dealing with his disciples around these things actually. But we're not going to go into it just now, but you might like to look at that or talk to him about it afterwards. But here we've got the parable of this rich young man. And uh, in verse 16 it says, Behold, one came to him and said, Good master... What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Can you already see his problem and what we've been talking about? What good thing shall I do that I may have? Let's make an agreement. Let's make a contract. I want to know, what do I need to do? What, where can I sign? I'll be able to pay for this. And he said, why callest thou me good? There is none... 
good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honour thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, well, actually, all these, well, all these have I kept from my youth up. Yeah, I've done that. Tick, 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 tick. It's actually an outstanding young man, isn't he? Would put many of us to shame. An outstanding young man. All these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, Well, if thou wilt be perfect. If you want to be perfect, if you think you can, if you can aim up to be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Well, who then can be saved? And that's where you get to, isn't it? When you think, well, well if God... He requires us to be perfect. I mean, how are we ever going to do that? Who's ever going to be in the kingdom? He's saying, a rich man. Well, all of us are rich. I mean, many of us are rich. We've got more than most. And it's easier for, an, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us to go into the kingdom of God. I'm feeling exactly like the disciples here. Well, who can be saved? Well, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And that's the difference. That's all it is. Just a change in mindset. If you, if you want to try and earn, if you want to try and demand what you can do to earn the kingdom of God, it is impossible. What is the price that you should pay for eternal life? If, if you were to create a fair transaction, if you want to make this a transaction, what is the fair price to pay for eternal life. life. Yep. Yeah. A perfect life. In, in what way is that an equivalent? Like how long is that life? You can't put a price on it. Well, yeah, you can't put a price on it, but we're just playing. <laughs> <laughs> But, but in all seriousness, isn't it eternal death? Whatever it is, it has to be eternal. 
If the thing you're receiving is eternal, the price you pay must be something eternal. Otherwise, it's not a fair transaction. So if we are going to try and attempt in our minds, consciously or subconsciously, to try and earn our salvation, we'll end up exactly like this rich young man here. Going away very sorrowful. Because when we approach the Father with this transactional type arrangement, this attitude in our minds, then we'll only get what we deserve. We'll only get what we pay. <coughs> Think about it. What can we pay? And that's what we'll get. If we're going to make this a transaction. But of course with God... All things are possible. And so when we approach God and we understand ourselves in our natural state. And if you, if you get some time, just read through Romans chapter 1, 2 and 3. And just see what Paul there is telling us. He's, he's just taking us through this, this leveling process. Where it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter who you are. He gets to the point and he says, there is none righteous, not a single one. That is us in our natural state. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. This is us in our natural state. We barely register, if at all. And when we aim for perfection... When we see Christ for who he is, when we see the great gulf between God's standard, what is perfect, what is holy, and us in our natural state, what does it do? Well, it makes grace enormous in our minds. It fills us with so much gratitude for what's been done for us. But when we diminish that, when we, when we make ourselves comfortable with our own standard, which we can very comfortably meet, we lose gratitude. So we need to be, we need to be comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Because if you're like me, it is uncomfortable to set a standard of trying to be the perfect manifestation of the Father. Because you know we're just going to fail miserably. But it only makes what God has done for us bigger and bigger and bigger. And tomorrow we're going to see a man who is probably far, far more righteous and far more incredible than we will ever be but did you know in his mind, in his mind, this, is, this gap here is like way, way bigger than, than ours. Because he understood these two things. So that's how we can diminish grace. And I think that's the biggest danger for us. So here's some, to finish on some...
some <laughs> quotes about what God is doing with us and for us with his grace. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. With God, all things are possible. We strive for perfection, but through Christ, through the saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is actually making us perfect. <laughs> by forgiving our sins now, but, but by changing us and moulding us in, and completing us in the kingdom age. That he might present it to himself, a glorious ecclesia, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We saw, didn't we, in our first study that God has purpose in his grace. It's to lead us to repentance, but ultimately present us perfect and change us. So just in summary, what is the mindset that we need to have? This, the grace paradigm that having done everything we can possibly do, we say we are undeserving servants. We can never place God in our debt. We need to be acutely aware of, one, God's righteous and perfect requirements. The Word made flesh, who Christ was, what, we're, what we are living to, what we are going to become, as well as our own natural position with God. Before we come into Christ. And when we enlarge, and when we change those, when we, we enlarge or diminish grace in our minds, when we temper with those two things. Thanks for your attention this evening. I know it's tough in the evenings, but uh, I appreciate it.